morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. One person better than awesome. Good. John 20, verse 31, toward the end of his gospel, John writes, These things have written so that you may believe who Jesus is, and by believing you may have life in his name. I'm afraid that oftentimes in churches we may believe intellectually, but we've never embraced the gospel in our heart. We've never given it full access to our lives. Jesus writes in Matthew 13, the parable of the pearl of great price, says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found the pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had had and bought it. An acknowledgement of the greatest treasure. There was a hymn that was written, a Swedish hymn, and it says, oh, the pearl of great price. Have you found it? Is the Savior supreme in your love? Oh, consider it well before you answer as you hope for a welcome above. Have you given up all for this treasure? Have you counted past gains as but loss? Has your trust in yourself and your merits come to nothing before Christ and his cross? You know, I know because I've been there, And I know that just because of the number of people we have here, that there are people right now who are struggling, who are fighting. You know, we're like like the little kid that gets angry with God, and so we, you know, we rebel and, and we fight against him, and he wants nothing more than to welcome us with open arms. He wants nothing more than to embrace us in the trial. The title of the message this morning is From the Storm to the Cross. And I would even say, if I was going to flesh that out further, from the storm to the cross is the treasure. That in the storms, in the difficulties, in the struggle, that if we allow those things to bring us to the cross, that there we will find the treasure, the presence of Christ. That Jesus will meet us in a deep, special way in those places of brokenness that more often than not, the storms will lead us to the cross where the hope and the power and presence of Christ are. Not just information, not just true information, not just true history, but God in the flesh. Sacrifice for us in a way that we can barely fathom. All the power, all the wrath, of Christ, his redeeming power lie at the cross, where it becomes not just an intellectual faith, but a relational faith. We must begin to understand that God can bring the greatest blessing out of the darkest time. He can meet us there in his presence. There's a few scriptures this morning that I want to start with that have promises, that have instruction, But my goal, I mean, the reason why I'm a pastor instead of a computer guy, which was my background, is because there's nothing in my life that brings me greater joy, that makes me more alive than when I'm talking to somebody about Jesus and the light comes on, or walking with people who find a deeper and deeper relationship with him. See, we gather together and we have good fellowship with each other. We have good worship time. You know, we, we're, we want this church to be as good as it can be in every area. We want to fix the facility. We want to increase everything. But only so it creates an environment where people can encounter the presence of Jesus Christ. Where people can build relationships with, with, with one another and come to a place where they can be authentic. Where they can be real with their struggle and meet and be changed by the power of of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We're not here simply to know more, simply to do better, but each of us as Christians, not just as pastors and leaders, as Christians are called to fall deeper in love with Jesus, to have a relationship with him that becomes more sustaining, that we treasure more and more as time goes on. In John 16, 33 
Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus is saying, everything I've taught, everything I've illustrated, what I've told you about, what I've shown you, all of that is so in me, as a source, my presence will be the source of your peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's been this difficulty, but you can have hope. Paul says the same thing, Romans 8, 28, more than conquerors. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We're going to look at that one a little bit deeper. James 1, 2, and 4, James writes the same thing. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. There's not a period there. There's a calmer. He continues the thought because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Jesus and Paul and James are saying that even in the midst of the storm, there's a purpose. That even in the midst of the storm, God can be trusted. That life isn't just about your, your experiences or what you accumulate. That life is about the character you develop, the person you become. And if you're a Christian, the whole reason you're on this earth is that as you live each day, each breath you draw, you become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so what Jesus and Paul and James are talking about is that you can trust in God. That there's a purpose, it's being worked out, that you're being developed into somebody different. So Father, I pray right now that you would just have your way in this place. Father, that you would bring life to these words, that you would speak deeply to our spirits, to our hearts, God, that the gospel would move from an idea to a to a powerful presence of Christ in our hearts, that it would change us from within, that we would fully understand what was done for us on that cross. And that we would recognize, God, that if the power of God exhibited on the cross, if humankind, if the worst thing that ever happened in human history, us killing the Son of God, God, if you could turn that into the greatest blessing humanity has ever seen, our redemption, that you'll work in our little storms for your greater good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look again at these scriptures, and I want to look at what they're saying. And the first point is that we will have trouble. You know, the problem that prosperity preachers make is they make human beings the center of everything. It's all about our experience, and we become the center of our worship, the center of our adoration, of our affection. It, become, it becomes about building our kingdom. And the reality is that, the, just look at the lives of the apostles if you want to consider whether or not we're going to have earthly treasure or earthly success, or if everything's going to go according to our plans. The apostles surely didn't read. And, you know, when Paul was writing, God will work all things to good to those who love him, he certainly didn't mean that in a material world level, in a temporal. He means something much deeper than that. And so, yes, God does want us to be comfortable. You can make the case that God's a good father, and a good father wants good gifts for his children, and all those things are true, but not at the expense of our character. In other words, God will meet us in our situation, in our circumstance, and he'll often change the, our circumstance, and sometimes he'll change us, us within the circumstance, but he always brings our circumstance to point us to our condition. God will bring our circumstance, our situation, whatever is going on around us to bring to our attention our condition, the great need we have for him. And so you're going to have trouble. Sickness will come, and financial struggle will come, and as far as I know, nobody here gets out alive, right? Death's going to come, illness, struggle, difficulty, but Jesus is saying, look, in me, you can have peace, because there's hope for something beyond this world, because this is only temporary, but I've, I've known friends that are sure God wants to heal everybody all the time, and God wants everything to be good. If God allowed his innocent son 
to die a horrible death on the cross because a greater good would come out of that. You don't think he's going to allow some minor discomfort in your life and my life to bring about a greater good? See, the storms are going to come. And I've heard people say before, when bad things happen, you know, people can either run to God or they can run away from God. And that's true, but I would even, I would even take that further. I would say you can run to God and you'll, you'll, he'll embrace you because that's what he wants. It's like your kids, no matter what they've done, no matter how mad you are at them, no matter how many mistakes they've made, all you long for is them to come to that place and be like, I need you, I'm sorry I messed up. And then you can what? Scoop them up and say, I love you, it's okay, what do we need to do? And we know as human parents that that's going to be our response. Yeah, we don't do that with God. So oftentimes we miss that opportunity. So it's important to realize that difficulties will come. I've said before, the absolute worst day of my life. And you know, I always, I want to, I, I want to get this point out there because, you, you know, people see me standing here and they think, you know, they know I went to Teen Challenge, but I almost think like I drank too much on the weekends maybe. Or I was dying the only reason why I didn't want to die was because I didn't want my wife and kids to have to go through more pain. When I tell you that I was at the end of me, it wasn't that things had gotten a little off track. They were a disaster. See, God needs to get us all to that place of surrender, and it doesn't matter. I like to say we're all, addict, we're all addicts. We're all addicted to sin. We're all in recovery from sin. It doesn't matter what your sin is. You're in recovery. We all need Jesus. But we need to come to a place of full surrender, of saying, Lord, take my life. And if we don't do that, in my life, he just took my knees out. I can't take credit for saying I surrendered my life to Jesus. I have nothing left. But in that storm... If you would say to me, what's the worst day of your life? I would say, I don't know, I was 36 years old. I had a good life, good family, good, you know, everything was good. And then suddenly I ended up in Brockton at rehab, thinking my life was over. My plan B, my brilliant plan B, I had a van. And I thought, this is our best thinking, because we always know better than God. No matter how bad things get, we always want some semblance of I'm in control. And my thought was, you know what? If this thing doesn't work out, I'm going to go live in my van. Just in case you think things weren't so bad. And then I found out my wife sold the van. I couldn't even live in the van. So I was like, nope. But it's amazing the excuses we'll make, the things we'll do to avoid saying, God, I'm done. Have your way in my life. See, that day, that worst day of my life, was without a doubt absolutely the best day of my life. What I thought was the end, what I thought was, well, you know, 36 years, you had a good, you had a good shot, you had good parents, you had a good opportunity, and you, you kind of messed it up. You're done now. Can you imagine if I would have walked away anywhere along the line if I would have said, you know what, Lord, if I was in charge, if I was the author of my own life, do you know what it would look like? Do you know how many things I would erase or how many things I would change? And then I wouldn't be standing right here in front of you today because his plans are so much greater than our plans are so much more than we can fathom. And so my heart isn't just that you know more about the Bible I want you to know more about the Bible so you know the presence and peace of God. I don't pray that you don't have storms in your life. I've said that before. You know, people will come to me and say, you know, my kid's going through this or my spouse is going through this. Would you just pray that everything works out? And I'll say, well, let's just be clear about what everything works out to you and everything works out to me is. Because I know that for a long time when everything works out the way I want it to, that that's not good. But when things work out the way he wants it to. So my prayer is that God would preserve the life of whoever we're praying for, but allow anything else to happen to bring that person to a place of surrender. Because I know what that's like. Because I'm standing here, 
my faith was initially intellectually, and it had, it, there, was a, there was a good reason for that. It was helpful, especially now, to be able to talk to people who don't believe. But I came to faith intellectually. The first half of John's writing is, I, I write this to you, come to believe that Jesus is who he says. And I did that. But then the next part is, and, and by believing you may have life in his name. There's something that happens when you shift from just belief to a life-giving belief. And it's trust. And trust is never more developed than in the midst of a storm. And if we don't have a proper understanding of God, and if we think when bad things happen, that means something's wrong with us or something's wrong with God, that's a deficient understanding. And it will lead to all kinds of mistakes. You will have trouble. In fact, to make it even clearer, in another, in John's writing, Jesus says, look, when the world hates you, because the world's going to hate you. I don't know why as Christians we're so surprised when, like, when you know, people make fun of us or you know, when you know, we get a little bit of pushback on whatever, the media, whatever it is. And we're like so offended by that. Jesus got a cross for his ministry. Jesus says, people are going to hate you for being a Christian. And then he says, but just remember, they hated me first. And if you belong to them, if you were of the world, they would love you. But they hate you because of me. But we're so worried about offending or being disliked by man, and we forget that we live for an audience of one. You will have trouble. Struggles will come. But we worship a risen Savior who doesn't just know of suffering, but who experienced suffering who understands our difficulties, not from a distance or not in theory, but one who is innocent without sin and went through unimaginable suffering for us. And the Bible tells us not fighting. Isaiah 53, uh, 53, 7. But he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In fact, Jesus knew in advance of the suffering that was to come. The Bible describes a scene in the garden by saying he was sweating blood. He was crying blood. Which is an actual real medical thing. If your stress is such that your body can't take the stress, your capillaries burst, and you will, through your tear ducts and through sweat, you will, blood will come out. It's a real thing. That's the level of duress that Jesus was under. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, Luke 22, verse 41. And he knelt down and he began to pray. And this should be our model for prayer. This should be our model for the Christian life. Verse 42, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. It doesn't say if you're able. He knows he's able. Father, if you're willing, if there's another way, would you change my circumstance? If there's another way, would you just change the situation? It's okay to pray that. Jesus prayed that. That's a good prayer, but we stop there. And when he doesn't change the circumstance or the situation, we say, I've been praying and God's not answering my prayer. Or I've been praying and God's not listening. Or he doesn't hear me. Because we, we forget the second half of Jesus' prayer. But not my will, but yours be done. And then the scripture says, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So we have a God who knows suffering, but his prayer brings us to our next point. And that is that we can trust God to fulfill his promises and, and work things out according to his plan, not our plan. But if he could take the worst event in human history and bring about the greatest experience, that the full redemption of our souls, then he can use our struggles. Early we read that in him we'll have peace, that he's overcome, that God is working out his plan. So I want us to understand Romans 8.28 better. 
I want us to understand what Paul's trying to say because it's comforting to say, and in all things God will work, work out for good those who love him who are called according to his purpose. But then we, we superimpose on that our idea of what good looks like. And then if we don't line up, See, the problem when I tell people, it's always a pastoral care problem. I, I'm so beyond intellectual arguments for the sake of them. I mean, those are interesting in, in academia, but I don't want to debate theological things that have no real-world application. But the real-world application of the prosperity gospel is a, is a fundamental misunderstanding of everything that Christianity stood for, stands for, everything that Jesus came to do, everything that God allowed on the cross, is that principle of his power and presence in us, of allowing difficulty for greater good, of doing what needed to be done. So Paul begins talking about Romans 8.28, and he talks about a future glory. And the very first sentence should frame what we're going to talk about. For this is what Paul says, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So before we even begin to talk about Romans 8.28, the point Paul's making is, hey guys, just a mental note here. We're going to talk about difficulty and suffering and struggle, and that's real, and that has an effect but Christ is there with it. And our present suffering, Paul's saying, just so we know before we talk about it, doesn't compare to eternity with Christ. Doesn't compare to that future hope we have for that glory to come. And then he, and he tells us that, verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the, creature was, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Paul's saying the whole system is upside down. That sin has affected everything. The, the, the world in creation, everything is disordered because of sin. And we acknowledge that inside of each of us as Christians, we long for, we, we, we look for, and we hope for a future the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. And then in verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, for groaning too deep with words. And he searches the heart, and he knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And after Paul says all that, then Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, in other words, God is going to fit this difficulty and this struggle into your life, into your journey with him. And you have an opportunity because difficulties are going to come. You don't have to fabricate them. The question is, at the end of your struggle, are you going to know Jesus more? Are you going to have been made more into the likeness of Christ? Or are you going to run from God to something else? Because that's the choice you have. You either run into God's arms or you run to something else. A relationship, drugs, alcohol, money, a job, a distraction. It doesn't matter. When difficulty comes, when, when you're stripped of every other source of support, do you know Jesus that way? Do you know about what Paul says is God's everlasting love? 
In verse 31, he says this, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then this is really the linchpin verse. This is really where our focus should be. Verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? See, I understand when the world thinks Christianity is about limiting, right? Being a Christian is about, here's all the fun stuff that you want to do and you can't do it. That's what being a Christian is. I understand that the world somehow thinks being a Christian is to deprive yourself. In reality, just the opposite is true. I remember reading the scripture, for it is freedom that Christ has set you free, and thinking to myself, freedom? When I think of Jesus, I don't think of freedom, but that's the truth. That our ultimate freedom, that our ultimate peace is found in him. And so what Paul's saying is, look, I understand when people in the world who don't understand Jesus, who don't understand the cross, I get when they think God's going to withhold good things. But Paul's saying, if you are questioning what's going on in your life, if you are questioning God's love for you, all you got to do is look at the cross. Paul's going, how could he, how could the God who loved you so much that he allowed his innocent son to be tortured for you, how could that God not want all good things for you? I mean, that should, that should change us. If, if we want to develop a deeper trust in the middle of the storm, all we have to do is look at the cross. That should change us profoundly. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so struggles provide two unique opportunities for God's work in us as believers and in others for evangelism. In us, difficulty comes and we can run away from God into this endless cycle of pain because last I knew, everything else makes it worse. Drugs and alcohol are going to make it worse. Keeping running to the wrong relationships is going to make it worse. Keeping yourselves distracted is going to make it worse. When a storm comes, God's trying to get our attention, and he will meet us in the midst of that storm. If only we'll run into his arms. James says we're being refined and perfected for his good work that we can learn to trust him alone. My trust was developed when I had every relationship, everything was removed, and it was just me and Jesus. I was just talking to somebody after the first service, and they said, man, how, how do I get back there? How do I get back to where it's just me and Jesus? And we have to be intentional. And storms tend to focus us, because in all the other stuff going on, when you're in the middle of a storm, when you're in the middle of a difficulty, when everything's falling apart, that's the center. And he's in the center. I read this quote before, but I think it bears repeating. John Ortberg, when he asked people who didn't believe in God, why don't you believe? The number one answer was suffering. When he asked people who believed in God, when was your faith most increased, when, you have, when did you have the deepest relationship with God? You know what they said? Suffering. Same answer. The one thing that brought to people's attention the absence of God was the, was the very thing that for some brought to their attention the presence of God. The choice is up to us. And non-believers who are tra- faced with trials and difficulties... When your hope is in your financial status or your health or the relationship or how your kids are doing, then when those things are not doing good, you're not good. And when those things are good, you're good. And it's up and down, and those are the things you hold on to. But we all know how quickly your health and your finances and your relationship, all those things that people are... are, you know, that, that are, they're important, they're priorities, but they're not the greatest priority. The things that we tend to put above God when we build our own kingdom. 
When all those things, when there's uncertainty, when there's struggle, when people go, you know, maybe I don't know what it's all about. And when in my life, when my father was dying, and I, I was, you know, in rehab, my father's dying of cancer, I'm in rehab, this is the, the worst thing ever. Like, it, it can't get worse. I'm not living with my wife and kids. It is the worst thing that you could fathom. And I met Jesus in those moments. I long, I look back and I long sometimes for that kind of intimacy again. Because it's so easy to get distracted, even when things are doing good. I think D.L. Moody said, we can, sp- we can stand affliction better than prosperity because in prosperity we forget God. When things are going good, we're all sad, we don't need them. So my heart, the reason I'm here, the reason I preach, the reason I do this instead of working with computers that are easy to work with in people, a little bit, is because my heart is to see people not just get information, but be changed by the power of the gospel. And you know how many times I've sat down with people who are in the midst of great brokenness, And they listed to me all the things they were going to do. And all the ways they were still in charge. And I looked. It's like the same thing over and over again. I looked with a broken heart. And you know how many of those people never even made it back? I don't mean to the faith. I mean they're not breathing anymore. See, you don't know if you have tomorrow. I don't know if I have tomorrow. You're here today. You have this moment right now. We have all these plans, all these hypotheticals. I've sat down with tons of people whose lives are in shambles and they still try to muster up some sense of why they should still be in control. And then they either lost their life or they're still out there doing the same thing. And it breaks my heart. And there is nothing, nothing in the world, even remotely close to when I... I've had people just tell me, you know, I've done, I don't know, 100 interventions. They've said, you know, thank you so much for sitting down with my love. And I'm like, look, just don't even thank me for that. That's a ridiculous thing to thank me for. Because the fact that the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life can somehow be redeemed by God to help other people is, is for my benefit. That's my blessing. You don't thank me for that. But if we submit ourselves, if we allow even our difficulties, even the ugliness to be used of him, and he uses that, that's redemption. All beautiful stories have that at their center. Redemption, God taking something that was ugly and dying and giving life and beauty. That's what he does. That's what the gospel does. That's what I want for you. Not just, hey, yeah, this church is cool. There's a lot of people. We have good worship. We hang out. Like, oh, that's great. But don't come here week after week, decade after decade, and allow your faith to stay where it is. Go deeper. Go deeper. One of the, one of the things I love about the community groups is people sharing, not just what the word said, but what's going on in their, in their lives, what God is doing in their lives. You've heard me say before, the worst thing in the world we can do is play church. I mean, that's what the world does. Everybody's make-believe. Everybody's pretending. Everybody's got a mask on. Everybody's something that they're really not. And do we want to come to the church and do the same thing? Or do we want to allow God even to use the difficulties, the dark times, to change us so profoundly that we can't wait to testify to the God who saves. Psalm 46.10, we've read it a few times in the past few weeks. Cease striving, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. He's saying the same thing that Paul said, and James said, and Jesus said, trust me. I'm in control. Even if you can't see it, even if you don't understand it, trust me. I've proven myself. Look at the cross. The hardest thing in the world to do 
is to be still, to give up control, to surrender. And yet Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it or will find it. So we need to pray, God, take me out of this. God, change this. But we need to also pray, but if you don't, just be with me. Because together we can, we can get through anything. And if God turns the cross into something beautiful and he turns our messes into something beautiful, that can be our testimony to other people. Not only pray, but read the word. God speaks to us through his word. We need to know the word to be encouraged by the saints who struggled before us. Because the Bible is filled with people who went through storms. If, if, I, if the people who wrote the Bible were writing it to make themselves look good, they didn't do a good job. Because they're, they're a hot mess, let's face it. Like, I love when people are like, oh, the people in the Bible, you know, they have it all together. They're so good. I'm like, have you read the Bible? Because that's not at all the case. Look at Joseph. Look at Abraham. Look at Peter. Look at David. Look at Job. I love Job. I love Job because in, every, in everybody's life, Job, he's going through the worst time of his life. And the people you think he could count on, which are his friends, he can't count on them. Like they keep giving him advice and, you know, they have, Job's not so rude, but you want to be like, you guys are all, you don't know what you're talking about. You're all morons. You're not helpful. You're not encouraging. I have the worst friends in the world. But then you, he's got a wife. So at least you think you'd be able to go, honey, these guys, I mean, nobody's giving me good advice. And if you read the book of Job, his wife goes, are you still doing your thing? Would you just curse God and die? Thanks, honey. That's encouraging. Job had nobody left. Everything in Job's life fell apart. And when you read the book of Job, and in the end, you know, he gets the, the worldly treasures back, the relational stuff comes Do you think that that's the blessing in the book of Job? Do you think if you talk to any of these figures in the Bible, do you think if you talk to Paul, you, he, Paul would say, yeah, I really regret, you know, all the stuff I walked away from. Paul says it's, it's incomparable. It's garbage. It's trash. It means nothing. Anything I've accomplished, anything that people's thought of me, anything I've done, anything I have is nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the heart of the matter. Any one of these people in the Bible, Job would say the benefit was that at the end of it, I didn't have all the answers. I wasn't encouraged by my friends. But at the end of it, I knew that God could be trusted. My relationship with him was developed. I wrestled with God. But he was with me. Jesus was comforted knowing his father's love. What comforted Jesus, no matter what he was going through, was he knew the love of the Father. So my question is, do we know that love? When we're going through stuff, what comforts us? I pray. My heart of hearts, I pray it's the love of the Father. Matthew 14, verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? It's easy to look at Peter and sort of, you know, kind of see him in, in, a, in a negative light. Or, oh, Peter, you know, you're always messing up, Peter. You don't have any faith, Peter. Peter's the only man who knows what it's like to walk on water. Because Peter left what was safe and comfortable, and Peter got out of the boat. Peter learned a lesson. Jesus said, Peter, why did you doubt? Why, why did your faith waver? Why did you take your eyes off me? Why did you start looking at everything going on around you? And forget about the one who's with you. When we see the wind... When things get tough, more important than ever, we keep an eyes on him. Yes, Peter fell, like we fall. But Peter learned a lesson. 
I have two small cards on my desk. They were mailed to me by my sister. When you go into Teen Challenge, the first 30 days is like a blackout period. You can't write letters. You can't get letters. So the very first letter I got was a card. And my sister. And now, again, I was, you know, I didn't know what my life was going to look like. I didn't, I, I wasn't hopeful. And I wasn't in this spiritual, like, oh, God's going to meet. I wasn't, I just didn't want to die. And she sent me a card, and in the card, with these two little cards, I still have them downstairs at my desk. When I didn't have the energy to go on, when I was in despair and afraid and confused, when my soul was deeply, deeply, deeply grieved, one of them said, it's never too late to be what you might have been. And the other one said, the best way out is always through. And she just wrote, don't give up. Don't give up. See, difficulty presents an opportunity for deep communion with God. Deep communion like like we've never known. And I wish there was another way. I wish that we didn't have to be so, you know, rebellious and so arrogant. And so, you know, I wish we weren't so thick-headed that he could do it another way. But more often than not, he has to remove everything. Remove everything to bring us to that place. Too many times it's only then we get down on our knees and allow the storms to lead us to the cross. And at the cross we find that Christ is the treasure. His power, his peace, and his presence. And if we're not in the midst of the storm as believers, we're here to help those who are. See, when when Paul talks about God working things out for the good according to his plan, well, the thing is, we know his plan. We know why we're here. We know we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We know we're called to reach the lost, to go and make disciples. So when we think everything's going to turn out for good, if I would have looked at my life and be like, Wait, I'm in, I'm in rehab. I'm separated from my wife and kids. How's this for good? Then God would have said, oh, no, no, that's not your good. That's my good. And my good, see, the, the great blessing is that at some point we recognize that his good is better than our good. That the best life I could imagine doesn't compare to the life I'm living now. That when I submit myself to him, I found true freedom. That it's an upside-down kingdom. Die to live. Serve to be great. Submit. Give up. Surrender. To have control. See, the disciples learned some things through the storm. Luke 8, 22. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. And a squall came down and they were in great danger. The boat was being swamped. The disciples went and woke him and said, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. Jesus, the the scripture begins by saying, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. That means Jesus had a plan. Jesus has a mission. Nothing's going to get in the way. Our storms are not bigger than Jesus' mission. And nothing's going to get in the way in what he wants to accomplish. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 5, Paul writes, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we abundantly share in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through him. See, the mission, his his plan, his ways are better than our ways, are bigger than our ways. That's why we're here, church. Ecclesiastes 4.12, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Cords of three strands are not quickly broken. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. 
Now, there was nothing in what Jesus said there that was a new command. They knew, love your neighbor as yourself. They had been reciting that their whole lives. What makes Jesus' statement unique is when he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples. They had heard love God and love your neighbor as yourself their whole lives. And Jesus is saying, there's a new command I give you. The way that you are to love is the way that I've loved. The way that I've loved you, that's what's new. His mission is bigger than our storm. When Jesus asks, where is your faith? He asks a good question. Because these are seasoned fishermen. And maybe initially their faith was in the boat or in their ability to row or in the weatherman or whatever it was. But at some point, it wasn't in any of those things. And at that point, it could have just been in Jesus. See, when they got to the place where they're like, okay, my ability's not going to do it. Instead of getting to the end of themselves and, and meeting him and being met with faith, they got to the end of themselves and they were met with fear. Experienced fishermen had been through storms. But this is a storm they needed to wake up Jesus and they learned a lesson about their faith. When God sends a storm my way, can I look at how many things I've been leaning on? How many things I've been relying on? See, God wants us to be willing to go to the other side to face the difficulty. Someone once asked the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, some say he's you know, one of the best preachers outside of Paul. They said, all your sermons kind of sound the same. And he said, well, that's because I take whatever text I can find, and with it, I bring men to the cross. Because at the cross is the answer to every prayer, is the culmination of your hope, is everything you need to know about the character and love of God. It's your freedom. It's your redemption. It's your power. It's your mission. It's your meaning and your purpose. See, God takes the pinnacle of man's cruelty, the height of evil, and with it the greatest liberating event in all of human history. We hear this, and we long for the freedom that Christ came to give. But we must realize without the cross, there's no freedom. Jesus didn't just come so we can learn how to love. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. The idea that we say of love God, love people, reach the world, that's not meant to be this new age mantra. Our ministries, all of us, need to be an overflow of what Christ's done in us. We're not just sharing information with people. We're talking about a relationship. We're telling them about somebody we love. You know that excitement you have when you're first dating and you're first in love and you want to tell everybody? That's what it ought to be when we share Jesus. Not just, well, you know, he's the son of God and he believes you. We ought to be excited by the relationship we have with Jesus. Loving God begins with surrender at the foot of the cross. Believing and accepting what Jesus did for our own sin. That he's holy and just and perfect, and the cross satisfies the pardon and the reconciliation, and we can't have the reconciliation without the pardon. And it takes coming to a place of surrender, of full surrender, in order to love God more deeply. To do our business at the cross, there's no other way in the storm, if we look for it, we see the hope of the cross. And if we embrace the cross, we're met with the presence of Christ. In Hebrews 12, the author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore, because we've heard testimony after testimony, because we've experienced and we've seen what God has done and what he continues to do in the lives of his people. Let us throw off everything that hinders, everything that distracts, everything 
that competes for his affection. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. Means without giving up. Continuing on. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition that you would not grow weary and lose heart. Please stand. Just know as we, as we close that the altars are open. That I'm, I'm not going to dismiss you after the song's done. You can, you can stay here. You can quietly leave. But just take a moment. Father, we know that you're here with us now. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for your spirit that fills this place, that lives inside of us. Father, we know, we know that it's hard sometimes in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the difficulty where we feel so alone, God, that it's hard to make sense of it, that it's hard to trust God. But you know, we know that you promised to meet us there, that you won't leave us that you will sustain us, that in those moments that we have an opportunity to be changed, to be made more like you. Father, even now, minister to each person in this room, each person who hears this message, God. You know what we need. You know who we need. And Father, my prayer, the cry of my heart is that each of us come to know you more, develop a, a greater trust your ways are so much better than our ways and you're a good good God so Father as we, as we worship you and then leave this place help us to be overwhelmed overwhelmed by a sense of your goodness God to just be reminded by the love you have for us displayed on the cross it's in Jesus name we pray